1: This is Any Given Sunday for Sunday, December 23rd, 2018. I am your host, Manny Brown. What's good, everyone? Hopefully, everybody had a productive week this week. We're now two days away from the big holiday. Christmas will be here on Tuesday, bright and early. So hopefully, everybody got their Christmas shopping out of the way. Um, for those of you who like to procrastinate like your boy, uh, you're probably still doing some Christmas shopping as we speak. So hopefully, we got an entertaining podcast episode to keep you guys going as you guys brave the elements and... Crowds and long lines and all the things that come along with being a late shopper on Christmas. So, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you guys are getting through it, man. But um, yeah, I'm back with another week, another podcast this week. Um, got a guest this week, someone that I've been trying to get on the show for a while now. I've been following his work now for the last couple months, and uh, he's one of the best baseball writers out there. Uh, first heard of him on the uh, Talking Mets podcast. He was a guest there over the summer. Um, if you're a Met fan, I'm sure you're familiar with that. If you're not, go listen to that show. It's one of the best Met podcasts out there. Um, anyway, I came to I, I came to know him from that show. He was a guest on there, and then I instantly, you know, liked what I heard. So I started following his work. And uh, he's a longtime baseball writer. Um, used to write for Fan Rag Sports. Has his own blog site, um, PaulLebowitz.com. Um, he's a fun follow on Twitter. He's very outspoken. He's very opinionated. He tells it like it is. So if you're a baseball fan, he is a must-follow on Twitter. So I've uh, been wanting to have him on the show for a while to pick his brain on the world of sports. I felt like this was a good time to have him on. Uh, Paul Lebowitz, welcome to any given Sunday. What's going on, Paul? How you doing? Good. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Just getting ready for the holidays. I, I made the mistake offline to say, "How was your Christmas?" So how
0: uh, <laughs> was it's not your? A it's a mistake <laughs> with other people who are politically correct and care about that stuff. Exactly. Well,
1: uh, well, how was your? Holiday of choice. Hanukkah. <laughs> well, I have to work regardless, so it doesn't really make right, a difference. Right. Well, you, hopefully you guys you guys had a good holiday and all that good stuff, man. All that good well <laughs>
0: stuff. <laughs> Days running to each other, right?
1: Yeah, I know, I know. I'm ready to get it over with too. I'm I'm I know. I'm just ready to get to January. Uh but yeah, man, uh before we get into the nitty-gritty, um every time I have a guest on, I just like to give them a couple minutes to just introduce themselves to the audience that may have not heard of them or follow them and just kinda give your brief bio, let people know who you are and what you do and all that good stuff.
0: Uh, my name is Paul Lebowitz. I'm a baseball writer and I've been writing about baseball for twenty years. Uh, my novel Breaking Balls was published in 2001, I've written 7 baseball guide previews, I might be writing another one, I haven't decided yet, and I have a couple other projects in the works. I was at rag Sports for uh, 2 years, and they were sold, and uh, I was at All Voices before that, I've had my stuff linked on ESPN and uh, Salon and other places too. So.
1: Cool, cool, man, cool. This guy's, uh, this guy's one of the most outspoken baseball voices out there. If you guys follow him on Twitter, you guys know I don't always agree with everything, but uh, he he does bring the heat. So uh, hopefully he's gonna give us some nuggets here while we have him on the show. Um, but yeah, let me, let's let's get started. Obviously with the Mets, uh, my my team of choice. Um, what have you thought so far of their offseason? Um, I know you talk about it a lot on Twitter and engage a lot of Mets fans. Um, I'll be honest, I was a little skeptical of the Brody Van Wagon and uh, Hire. Um, but so far, so good. I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of the overall offseason and just the Canoe trade, which is the big trade, obviously, that, that went down a couple weeks ago. Just kind of give me your your thoughts so far on the Mets and their off season and the Van Wagon and Hire and all that good stuff.
0: Well, if one of the supposed forward-thinking organizations that hired – A guy like Brody Van Wagenen, it would have been treated as if they just discovered fire. Right. So the Mets do it, and it's what are the Mets doing, what are the Mets thinking, why are they doing this? But who is going to have a better grasp on finding players and looking at all the aspects – Of how to market players and who is going to fit into certain areas than than a player agent. I mean that's what they do, and it's not like he's just some guy. He played a he played baseball at Stanford. He's been an agent and negotiated significant deals and handling a wide range of clients. And I have no problem with the hiring. It was preferable to me than bringing in. Somebody who, like Doug Melvin, who was working from a, a script from 20 years ago, right. and if he didn't have the money to buy players, then I didn't see how he was going to adapt to today's game. And if you're going to hire somebody like High and Bloom, then you're basically admitting you're going to cut the place, and it's going to be another four-year rebuild. And while that might placate a certain faction of the fan base who, for whatever reason, want that, Van Wagenen was not going to trade ground. And he was going to be aggressive. And to me, the Cano trade was and was creative. It was costly, but the main point of doing that was to get Edwin Diaz. So Cano, Cano can still play.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, before we get to the Cano trade, you you, you brought up something that I, I it's it's a constant debate amongst the baseball world between fans, executives, writers, etc. Um, this, this whole idea of tanking, um, in baseball, it's been the rage really the last say five years or so, really, really since kind of the Astros and the Cubs kind of, you know, I don't, don't, maybe perfected it, I guess. Um, you know, every team wants to do that now. They want to be the next Cubs. They want to be the next Astros. What are your thoughts on that? Cause I, I, I understand it. I don't love it. I get it. But I also feel like not every team is going to be the Cubs or the Astros, and it takes a lot of luck more than just sheer intelligence and brilliance. What are your thoughts on on the whole tanking to tank, not to tank with certain organizations?
0: Uh, I also understand it. And if a team is in a certain situation, like the Astros were,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where they had bloated contracts, they had a farm system that was basically dilapidated then and it was a new owner and they were going to be terrible one way or the other. So it's logical to say, let's just gut it down, trade anything and everything that we can get something for clear these salaries and rebuild it from the bottom. And then once we're ready to win, we'll start spending money. You look at a team like the reds, who did the exact same thing, and now they're ba- they're basically throwing things at the wall because it seems like the owners had enough of this rebuild that really hasn't gone all that well. It doesn't always work. And you agree. got the place, and you're relying on draft picks, you're relying on international free agent signings. It's not necessarily gonna work out the way it did with the Astros. And if you look at a lot of the Astros' top picks, they blew a lot of them.
1: Yeah, Marquardt's so, the main one. Yeah,
0: yeah Appel, uh, The Brady Aiken, that was understandable. They got lucky the next year, Bregman, but there were a litany of little tricks they tried to pull, like when they tried to sign Aiken at below slot, Mm -hmm. and then they tried to sign the other guys, and then it was all... Undone when Aiken was hurt and they couldn't come to an agreement, so it didn't. And with Correa, okay, that worked out, but he's been injured the last couple of years. It's not necessarily going to work out the way you think it's going to work out by just accumulating high draft picks. I, I don't like it. I'm sure there are ways that you can mandate that teams actually try. You could try a payroll floor, but I don't really see what you can do to force them to like quote unquote try to win. A bad team is a bad team.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I, I, the only thing I don't like about it now is. That- that it, it, it seems like that's teams are too quick to jump to it now. Like, you know, they have a bad season or they have two bad seasons in a row. Well, let's go let's go rebuild. You know, it's not working. Let's just tear it down. Let's start from the – I'm like, like, look at Arizona. Like, Arizona has been a quality team the last couple of years. You know, okay, they had a setback last year. And they just – now I get it. A lot of that has been self-imposed because they gave Greinke that ridiculous contract and they just basically have no money to sign anybody else. And they're not exactly a – a, you know, a booming financial success in the area. I get that. But I mean, geez, after one year, you're just going to blow it up? Like, I, I, that's the only thing that I hate. They were
0: not going to be able to retain Goldschmidt. And at that point, with their financial situation as it is, they're not tanking where they're going to lose 100 games. But it's more like we're just going to stay where we are in the middle, see where we are. At midseason, and you never know; they might be hovering around the wild card race. And if they are, then okay, maybe we'll add a little bit. Right. I mean, that's really a difficult place to be. Like, it's not one or the other, because you have to realize that it's easier, and it protects people's jobs when you te- you sell the owner on this plan that you're going to gut the place. And then right there, you've got three, four years that you can just lose and lose and lose, and you can continue selling this idea like well, we've got this prospect, we've got that prospect. It's coming, it's coming. Who knows if it really is?
1: Right. No, I get it. I, I completely get it, and I also think it's easier now because you have a lot of these younger GMs who, you know, let's be honest, they want to play fantasy baseball and they want to get their names put in the papers, how smart they are, and their their yeah. their you know their minor league systems are this. I get, it. so I think that also plays into it. Um, one last question on that. I mean, do you think rebuilds work in big markets? Like, you know, I, I, I get tired of the media spin that the Yankees try to throw out there. Like, like I, I get annoyed with the whole the Yankees rebuild. The Yankees didn't rebuild. The Yankees still had high price players. They were still playing McCann. They were still playing they were still paying Ellsbury. So this idea that the Yankees basically gutted it from the bottom is a little bit is a little bit misleading. I mean that off season they gave you know, they traded for for, you know, Chapman. They traded him and they basically re signed them back. So I, I don't buy the whole Yankees rebuild thing. But do you think that, that that a rebuild works in a in a place like LA or in a place like San Francisco or New York or the big market. I know Philly's I know Philly's done it, but a place like New York, for instance, where me and you are both familiar, do you think a, a true out-and-out rebuild works, or it will be accepted by the fan base?
0: The only way it would be accepted by the fan base in New York is if there's no other option. Like, if the Mets got to a point where they had to, like, like next year, let's just say everything goes wrong, Cano gets suspended again, Diaz blows out his elbow, and all these things happen and they lose 100 games, Then okay, then... At that point, you're just going to continue doing what the latter years Omar Minaya team did. After they didn't make it over the finish line, then you're just throwing pieces into the into the pile to make things worse. Yeah. So at some point, you have to say there's no saving this. It's like a building. If the building is so completely destroyed, then you ha- after a fire or some other disaster, then you have to tear it down and rebuild it. The Cubs got away with it only because of who they were hiring to do it. Theo Epstein came walking in. He was already a Hall of Famer when they hired him. So whatever he said and whatever he did was going to be okay because they knew his reputation would eventually probably get them where they wanted to go. The Yankees, I I give them credit because they were able to stay over 500 going into seasons knowing that they probably weren't going to win. And it wasn't a a full-blown rebuild, but as far as the Yankees go, it was a rebuild that they really weren't trying to win as they did over the past twenty years, of every year was either a World Series or was a failure. They knew before the season that they probably weren't going to win the World Series, right. and a lot of that credit goes to the manager they fired, Joe Girardi. That he kept them above water, and in one year he got them to the playoffs. How I don't know. No,
1: I, I, I get it, and I I, I, I agree. I, I just I don't know. I just think that the the media loves spinning it to, to you know placate Yankee fans <laughs> and Brian Cashman and say, oh, they went through this this laborious rebuild. Like eh,
0: it's, it's a, little- a storyline they're trying to sell uh you know it's to say a team with a 200 million dollar payroll is rebuilding i mean it's a little a little shaky
1: yeah and that's what bothers, that's what annoys me and, and granted i'm a Met fan so anything they're done to kind of you know stole upon the greatness of the yankees will annoy me anyway but i mean that one's just a little like okay that's far-fetched like come on Like, even you guys know this is bs but whatever um let's, let's get back to the cano trade um i i I didn't mind the trade; it grew on me. The only thing I I didn't like about it was that I thought the Mets were were dealing from a position of strength and or dealing from a position of of having better leverage than the Mariners because the Mariners had to get Cano off that roster if they were going to set this rebuild in motion. It's not like Cano was going to go anywhere else. You you weren't trading, you know, unless you were trading him to the Dodgers or you know the Red Sox or something like somebody like that. I I don't think Cano was going to waive that no trade clause to go anywhere else. So it was going to have to be New York. Either one of those teams. The Yankees didn't want him back, so the Mets had all the leverage in that situation. I, the only thing I, that annoyed me in the trade was giving up Kalanick. Um I would have, I would, and not because I'm trying to, you know, hoard prospects. I just kind of felt like it felt a little bit of an over.
0: If you look at the trade, if you split the trade and look at it separately, they gave up what would be a reasonable return for Diaz mm-hmm. with the young players. For Cano, that was just a salary dump. So if you split it that way, you know, we will give you Swarzak and Bruce, you give us Cano and give us X amount of money to clear that. Then you look at the other trade, Diaz for Kalanick and Dunn. That's pretty much what you're going to pay to get a top-tier closer who's under team control. So if anyone's giving the Mets grief, you point out, look, as old as Cano is, he's 36, he's still going to be able to hit. And as far as the second base market, he's the best. He was the best. Money aside, he was the best available second baseman. So they got the best available second baseman, and they got the best available closer. Kalenic is he's 19 years old, and people are comparing him. You hear this? Well, what if he becomes Mike Trout? Hey, you know what? God bless you if you become Mike Trout. What are the odds of that happening? And then they're saying he's, he's Brandon Nimmo-like. Okay, Brandon Nemo was drafted out of high school, and it took him seven years to establish himself in the big leagues. Are we now waiting to 2025 with this kid who might not even get out of Double A? We don't know. So he's 19 years old. I hope he makes it, but they got a top tier closer for him. And they're trying to win now, and it's worth the price,
1: right? No, I, I get it, and I'm not as I'm not as outraged as other Mets fans about the Clint. I I I was a little annoyed because I kind of felt like it was an overpay. The only issue that I have with the trade is and again, it's, it's cynical Met fan, it's, it's traumatized Met fan, is what is Cano going to be at age 38, 39? The Mets have a tortured history of getting guys past their primes that do nothing in queens and i think most met fans are saying okay here we go again okay he'll be good for two years and then we still have him for five years so we have him for three years after that what is he going to be in those three years where he's barely hanging on and and we don't know that for all we know cano plays great till he's 41 very very possible but we don't know that and looking at the history of the mets something tells me that he's probably not going to be much after age what 38 39 at best
0: to me, you worry about 2021 and 2021. If Kano is that guy who, at 50, he'll still be able to hit, he'll still be able to alter his style to be able to catch up to pitches that he couldn't, he can't catch up to because of age anymore. And by then there might be the DH in the National League. We don't know. We, I'm not, we can't predict right. two, three years from now. And if they were serious about getting better immediately then Cano at 36, who was still with the suspension, was very good last year. And before that, he was very good for the Mariners. His numbers, if you look at them, they're consistent yeah. from the time with the Yankees through the time with the Mariners. And he's going to play. He might even run 65% to our space on ground balls as compared to his 30 percent that he usually runs because he's so happy to be back in there. he was desperate to get out of Seattle
1: no I get it and I th- and, and, and that's my thing I, I think he'll be good for two years I, I can see him being good for two maybe even three I, I just dread what he'll be let's just say we live in a world where there isn't a DH in a national league yet and what is he going to be at 38 39 40 and th- that's the issue that I have but I but I get I don't I don't I don't knock
0: I them for making it. so to me Every team has terrible contracts. Every one of them. You figure it out. The Dodgers just cleared Kemp's contract. The Mets have some guys in the front office now specialize and are able to come up with these innovative ideas like the Dodgers do to clear salary. So at that point,
1: figure it out. So I get it. I I, I get it. Um, what was your thoughts on, on the whole JT Riamuto pursuit? Uh, did you ever buy that? Syndergaard was 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 going to get traded in a, in any kind of a three way trade.
0: I think Syndergaard is getting on people's nerves in the Mets organization, and that stems more from his personality than it does any concerns about injury. I mean, he's the only one of the group who hasn't had Tommy John surgery, so I think that's a lingering fear that eventually his elbow is going to blow just out of sheer reality. I personally, I would have pulled the trigger on Syndergaard for Real Moto. Really, but. If you don't Gita doesn't seem to know what he wants, and he's just playing games over there now, and he's put himself in such a terrible position with this player who should have been traded a year ago that it was right for the Mets to walk away and the Braves walked away, and it seems like the Dodgers are just lurking waiting to see if the price comes down. I wanted Real Muto, but if it was Real Muto or Grandal, then yeah i want I don't want Grandal period. Real Muto or Ramos who the Mets, they played poker, and they made it seem like they didn't have any interest in him at all, and that's who they ended up with. That's mm-hmm. fine with me, and especially on that deal, two years, it's great.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, that was a very, very reasonable deal for for him, because if he's healthy, he's going to hit. We know that. It's yeah, just a yeah. thing with him, it's just staying healthy. Um, I, I think with Jeter, I, I think he's trying to save face. I really do. I think, I think because of the bad deals that he made for Ozuna, the bad deals that he made, especially for Yellich. Um, I think he's trying to save face. I think they're trying to say, you know what, we're not gonna get bamboozled again like we did last year. So that may have something to do with it. But, um, you, you brought up the, 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 point of Syndergaard getting on people. What, why is that? What have you been hearing or, you know, just through the tea leaves or grapevines that, that Syndergaard is Because to me, they, they seem pretty anxious. I don't want to say anxious to get rid of them, but, Willing so easily willing to get rid of Syndergaard, who's a guy who, let's be honest, who has injuries aside has been great for the Mets and hasn't even scratched the surface of what he can actually be.
0: You can look at it a couple of different ways. If you want to get big value back, then he's a guy that you have some depth in the starting rotation that you can move him and bring back a huge return. You could also look at he did miss time last year. He missed almost the whole season the year before and you could get the sense that like with matt harvey there could be a little bit of too much enjoyment of the nightlife in mm-hmm. new york that they don't want to fall into that trap again by placating him placating him and then waiting too late to get nothing for him right now, i don't know that with syndergaard but if there and Brody van wagen was his agent so <laughs> if there are things that they are concerned about, you're not allowed able to just come out publicly and say it that we're worried about his off field lifestyle. Because to me, when Matt Harvey was pitching great, hey, chase models, drink, do whatever. Once Matt Harvey's not showing up at the ballpark, that's a telltale signal that there's something going on right. that is a major problem and they waited till long to get rid of him, probably because he was so popular with the fans. I didn't see any harm in listening on Syndergaard, and if the deal was right, I would have moved him, but he's very popular with the fans. And if he's healthy, he's great. Maybe this – and he, he didn't seem all that bothered. He seemed to be joking about the trade rumors. If he's out there, there's a reason for
1: it. I agree. I, 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 I've i just been puzzled by the trade. I, I don't mind listening because I think that when you're in a situation like the Mets are in, I think you always have to be willing to listen to to a player of that ilk, That it, especially if he could get you something – of extreme value back. The only issue I, I I don't know if I would have done the real muto straight up for Syndergaard. Um I think I would have had to get something else. Now if you're telling me I'm getting another piece or a couple pieces in as as a part of that real muto trade, then I I think I'm willing to listen, but real muto straight up for Syndergaard, I, I don't well, know the if Mets I
0: would turn that think. down, so.
1: Yeah, well yeah, I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have done that trade. I, I don't think that. I mean as much as I like JT real muto, I, I don't think also we
0: don't know how far along they were with ramos yeah because it was always an omar mania strategy that he would put three offers on the table for three catchers he could live with and the first one to grab it was the one he got right like uh, he pursued uh, i think it was benji i think it was benji molina and when molina was uh waffling he just turned around and traded for polo duca yeah so if they had ramos in the wings and they had a the framework of a deal and they were still trying to get Real Muto, and the price didn't come down then okay that i understand these are things we don't know right so if you're telling me that then i would have backed off from it if ramos had signed and if they clearly didn't want grandel thank god so then he, well look he's a stat he's a stat personified and it concerns me that the dodgers really don't want him back
1: well, if Austin Barnes is playing over you in, in key games in the postseason, yep. then that should that should be the telltale sign of, of all things that this is not a guy to invest, what, three, four, five years in. Yeah. I don't think he's going to get five, but, you know.
0: They have two young catchers in the minors that are close to being ready, but they're not going to be ready next year. So I see them getting a catcher. They could even end up with getting Grandal back on a short-term deal. But, I mean, they, they don't seem all that enthusiastic about it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think they. I don't even think. I don't even see them getting Grondel back on a short on a on a short term deal either. I I just think they. I I I think they'd probably be even willing to just play it out and just let Austin Barnes and sign some other some scrap heat catcher and then just wait to the deadline or something to upgrade that position. So,
0: um,
1: so what do you think is next for the Mets? Then, um, they got Ramos. They they, obviously they made a big deal with Cano and, and Diaz. What else is next? For the Mets, is, do you do you believe that there's another big move in there in there you know that they're working on? Do you think it'll just be kind of minor things? I, I forgot they even mentioned Familia. Um, what else do you foresee the Mets doing? And if you were the Mets, what else would you do? What they've gotten good at it used to be years ago that
0: everything would get leaked just to get a public reaction before they pulled the trigger on it. Mm-hmm. Now with the Alderson regime, there were no leaks. Van Wagenen seems to. Stuff leaks out, then he turns around and does something completely different. So I think the interest in A.J. Pollock is real, but I also think that they are looking at other creative ways. I said on Twitter the other day I would see if the Rays were willing to deal Kevin Kiermaier. Uh, I, they seem to have backup plans, like we'll go for this, this is what we'll pay, and I think there is a good chance that they do get A.J. Pollock. They seem to be willing to spend some money So, and willing to make moves that are not popular with the – Public in the media, so I, I, there are going to be some extra moves. And I didn't want Andrew Miller because I was concerned about his knees and how it was affecting his age and his workload. You know,
1: you'll see a couple of bullpen moves and probably one of the catches will be traded. Um, AJ Pollock, I, I don't know how I feel about AJ Pollock. He's a good player, he's another guy that's an injury concern. I mean, he's just always banged up, always hurt. Um, if, if you can get him on a, if you can get him on a, like a Wilson Ramos like contract I don't mind it but if you're going three four years big money with him i I'd, I'd be a little concerned about that
0: the only reason I wouldn't be concerned about that is because most of his injuries are from getting hit and crashing into things get fractures and broken bones and you know, not to dismiss them in their seriousness but that's not him continually blowing out his hamstring right so I he wants six years. He's not going to get six years. But if we're going to talk about three years in an option or four reasonable years, then I'm okay with that. He's a good center fielder. And right there, you're talking about a good defensive outfield. I don't expect anything from Cespedes. If he comes back, great. I'll figure it out then.
1: Right. I don't think you can go into this season. And I think that was one of the issues with the Alderson regime. regime really, till the well, the last year, they, they kind of pivoted away. But I think that was the issue with the Alderson regime is that they – they – out of loyalty, I don't, I don't know if it was loyalty so much, but just they kept thinking that Wright was going to come back or they kept acting as if Wright was, was going to be a factor in any of those seasons and, it, and I think it hurt them in their pursuit of trying to find a, a competent replacement. And I think that – I think that the lessons learned there is that I don't think – I think right now you operate as if Cespedes is not there. If he comes back, great. It's an added bonus. You figure it out then. But right now I think if you go into this off season basically saying – basically Cespedes is, 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 is a ghost. He's not here. We're not worried about him right now.
0: They never replaced right until this year. But this year they knew. Yeah. That was it. So, I mean, I – I tend to think that they were willing to let David Wright try to come back. And some other organizations wouldn't have done that. And the Mets, uh, one of their failings is that they're just too nice to the players. They placated Harvey for too long. And at some point, you have to say, "It's an, all right, it's enough. You know, this is your job. And with Wright, he was such a franchise icon. You're really in a difficult situation.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, that. I don't knock him for right. I, I don't. I, 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 I get what you're saying. I, I don't knock. I totally agree about Arnheart and I don't knock him for right. That's a, that's a tricky situation. He's an icon. It's, it's debilitating injury. I think they gave him, we could argue whether they should have gave him so many opportunities to try to come back. I, I can't kill him on that. I really can't. I, I want, even though I want to, I can't kill him on that.
0: What could they do, though, with the insurance payments? And the, if he wants to try to come back, there's really not much you can do about it. Yeah. And there comes a point where, okay, he can't play, and that's what happened. They really didn't have any alternatives, especially with his standing in the organization. So it was just easier to let it go as it was, and now you know you figure it out later.
1: No, I agree. You mentioned the Mets' willingness to spend money. And again, cynical Mets fan, okay, you're willing to spend money. You got two guys out there, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, guys that would fit perfectly in Queens, especially Machado, who could slide in, play third base, you can move Rosario or you could put you know, could put him in at shortstop, move Rosario to third, or trade Rosario to get something back. Whatever, Met fans are saying, Well, why aren't we one of the teams that's meeting with Machado? Why aren't we one of the teams that are pursuing Bryce Harper? Talk us off the ledge.
0: To say that they should have had a meeting with these players is fine to say that it's a slam dunk, that you're giving these guys 10 years and $350 million or whatever. Historically, these contracts have always ended up being disastrous. Now at 26, Yeah, you can say we will give them 10 years and we can pretty much be safe in that they will be good for seven of them. And also there's going to be an opt out Mm -hmm. after probably four years. So they will be motivated to play well. And you figure you're paying for four years, maybe front load it, do it that way. And then if he opts out and he's asking for too much money, you can let him walk and or you can renegotiate the deal. I don't think it's the best business decision in a vacuum to say, we're going to give this one player $350 million or whatever it is at the expense of the rest of the organization. And every team now is trying to stay under the the luxury tax. Mm -hmm. So even the Dodgers, who supposedly just made room for Harper, are backing off a little bit and saying, yeah, well, you don't know if we're going to have room for him. And I don't think it's smoke. I think that they want to make sure if they're going to sign him, they get him on a deal that they're comfortable with. So it's not just the Mets. And if the Yankees are talking about limiting the offer, not just in years, but in dollars for Machado. Well, if they've set an amount of money aside for Machado and they're not going to go beyond that, then if the Phillies are going to blow that away, they're not going to get it. Right. So it's not just the Mets.
1: No, I I, I understand that. I, do, I, I get that. I, you know, again, I think the Mets don't get benefit of the doubt, and... You could say that's unfair, but the Mets have done a lot of things in their history that has burned the fans, and I think fans are have a right to say, to be a little cynical of their of of the Mets. I I think it's well deserved and well earned. That being said, you're right; they're not the only organization that's you know had this stance with Harper and Machado. My thing with them is those are 26 year old guys. I, I I would totally understand if you're talking about 31 year old superstar player or you know even 29 going on 30 year old player these guys are you know still and you can make the argument of both of them they haven't even scratched the surface of how good they could be i mean you you, bryce harper could conceivably be better you know machado could still be better at ages 27 28 29 so that's the only thing those guys are are the only exception
0: the if you look at harper though in his free agent year he had a Year that wasn't particularly yep. good. And for all the criticism from Machado for not hustling, Bryce Harper never runs out of ground ball, ever. Well, I'm glad he's you... become an... In... Hmm? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. He's become an indifferent defensive player. He... I'm not going to say he's a problem in the clubhouse. He does seem like a good kid, but his teams consistently lose. He's gone through how many managers, and it's always like with him, it's a shrug. Well... And there's always an implication that it's the manager's fault. Like, he had some shady negativity about Dusty Baker. It, it's never his fault. So, you're investing a lot of money in this guy. He's won nothing. His teams have gone to the playoffs four or five times. They've lost every time. So, to say that it's just an automatic that at 26 is going to kick in and he's going to hustle and he's going to play all out, I don't necessarily know that's the truth.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there seems to be this, this... Notion that Machado is just this horrific guy, never invest in him. Oh my, I mean, if you watch MLB network and some of the guys on there, it's like, geez, you, you would have thought Manny Machado committed murder. Um, and Bryce Harper seems to be, oh, the, the, the more reasonable bet, the guy that you clearly invest in over, over Machado long term. And I'm just like, I'm not seeing that. I mean, you look at their career numbers. You could argue Machado's been better, more consistent, and you're right. All the things that you brought up about Harper, constant managerial changes in Washington. His teams have collapsed, not just lost every single time. They've lost excruciating fashions in, in the postseason. So, wh- if where they do- made the postseason, when there were two years that they should have made the postseason, they didn't. Exactly, exactly. So where do you? why do you see that there's this bit... I, I get Machado made some stupid comments, but a lot of guys make stupid comments. I, I just don't understand this notion or this narrative that's being pushed out there by the baseball writers that somehow Machado's this bad, this villain, and Harper is this, you know, saint. I, I, what is What is it with that?
0: I mean, obviously you could point out a racial component there. I mean, (laughs) yeah, it's still going on with the Latin player, the lazy Latin player. Once he gets paid, he's going to get fat. He's not going to be interested. But all that stuff about Machado's Johnny Hustle comment, that was in the context of a longer statement where he basically said there was no excuse for it. Now, the tripping the the Brewers' first baseman, that was unacceptable. He was behaving badly. It was on a big stage, he didn't hustle, he apologized for it. The Yankees are raking him over the over the barbecue for that. And to me, it just seems like ownership wants you to to supplicate to them before they offer you X amount of money, and we're still gonna offer you less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To me, either you want the guy or you don't. And if you haven't heard of any Uh, domestic incidents, you haven't heard of any DUIs, you haven't heard of any whisper campaigns about either player. So to rip into their character in that way, neither of them hustle, but how many guys bust the tape at first base? Brandon Nimmo. (laughs) Other than that, who?
1: Not a lot. Not a lot. And and fans kill me with this, oh, you know, he's not going to make it in Philadelphia because they're not going to put up with that. Let me tell you something right now. You and I both know that if he goes to Philadelphia, they win 93 games and he hits – Two ninety five to 300, 37 home runs, one hundred and twenty RBIs. They'll love him in Philly. So this notion that he doesn't hustle, it's not gonna, it's not gonna stick in New York, or it's not gonna stick here. That's total BS. In twenty fifteen, Met fans couldn't get enough of, of Cespedes. Why? Because he played well and they won. They didn't care if he didn't he, if he lollygagged and hustle. It's when they when they started losing games, all of a sudden it becomes a problem. So I, I just I I get a kick out of that narrative.
0: I don't think he's going to Philadelphia anyway because I don't think he wants to play for that manager. But
1: <laughs> Philadelphia
0: <laughs> has that reputation of being, like, feisty and fighting and all that stuff, and that's why they love Dudley so much. But if he's hitting, it's not going to matter. a the Hunter Pence type of player, like, just crazy. But if he goes there and he hits, they don't care.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, let's switch over to the Yankees. Um, we've talked about him a little bit, but – you know are you, are you buying this new kind of you know fiscally conservative yankee operation where i mean we've heard all the right things let's just see let's see how this whole thing plays out with with machado but you know we we heard that and i can't kill him for not wanting to go the extra mile with 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 corbin i don't think corbin's that good but um the yankees have been a little bit more fiscally conservative over the last couple years to much of the ire of yankee fans are, are you buying it do you understand it? Do you get it? Or do you think it's do you think it's just a smokescreen
0: at the end of the day? I get it. I don't think they – Hal Steinmerner has said multiple times that he does not think that the team needs to be over the luxury tax and spend $200 million to win. And he stuck to it. And in a way, that's admirable. But in a way, he is basically the opposite of his father where he does not have that hunger to win at all costs like – like George did. And they've bought into this, uh, the... Sabermetrics and Catherine setting a line and how much they'll spend. And I would not have paid Corbin either, but you also have to look at it from the perspective of they've been talking about Corbin for two years and then they came in third in the offers to get him. At some point, you have to say, well, this is what we value the player at, but if we want to get him since the other teams are going above and beyond what we're offering, we have to pay it. Mm-hmm. Are they going to do that with Machado? It doesn't sound like they are. And. Given the way the Players Association steers players to the highest offer, even if it's true that Machado's friends are saying that he wants to play for the Yankees, it's going to be very difficult for him to take two years, two fewer years, and 50 million guaranteed dollars less. To go to another team, to the Yankees, instead of a team that's offering that amount of money.
1: What do you see the Yankees doing? Uh, if they, let, let's just play it out, let's just say they don't they don't get Machado. What do you see the Yankees doing? Obviously, Didi's hurt. Um, who knows? Who knows if he'll be back even at the All Star break? Who knows? But let's just let's just assume he is. What do you see the Yankees doing in the short term to, you know, kind of hold him over until Didi, if if Didi comes back? And what else do you see the Yankees doing to add to that team? If they don't get Machado, I don't know where they go from there.
0: I mean, you could try to be creative and maybe trade something from their bullpen or uh, more of their young players. I mean, they do have some prospects down there to to do something. I don't think Machado is in absolute need, but I mean, what they could do is uh, move Gary Sanchez out. Or I thought Daniel Murphy was a perfect fit for them. Yeah, they weren't was, even interested.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I was, I was, that was interesting because I thought they would be after Murphy and especially in that ballpark. And they just, it doesn't even sound like they were ever even interested in him, so.
0: That, to me, he's perfect cover. He's a, Everybody talks about his defense. He's a good first baseman. So, he's cover for Voight and Bird, and he can DH. They've, ham, they've hamstrung themselves, and everybody understood why they did it. But when they took Stanton's contract, yeah. you had to take it because he was being given to you. But since they took him, they've. Put themselves into a position where they're limited in what they can do since they're sticking to a payroll.
1: It's amazing when you think back at it now. It's it's, it's going to hamstring them a lot because it's it's they you know who knows maybe if they don't have Stanton you know maybe Harper's in, in right field or left field playing for them who knows uh, um, so you don't so you don't know what they're going to do without without getting Machado if they don't get Machado you you think they're a little bit of a trouble in, in a trouble situation
0: if they don't get Machado then maybe they would go after Harper and try to figure it out later just to placate the fans but. <sighs> You know, this is not – they've put so much into getting Machado. And I'm sure they do have a backup plan since they haven't made it an absolute priority that we're going to give him whatever he wants to get him. So – and it, Cashman and his analytics guys are going to have backup plans. But what that is, I mean, who knows?
1: What do you think of the Paxson move? Um, I saw him out a lot of hate out here in Seattle. Um, it's a good pitcher when he's healthy. Um, he's just always, always, always hurt.
0: Um. Brian Cashman's pitching decisions have not been good historically. Uh, it seems like the Yankees had soured on just on uh, Justice Sheffield, but that could have been let's run this guy down so we can explain away trading him. I yeah. mean, I think Paxton's a good pitcher. He'll be good here, and as long as the Yankees have that powerful offense and they're relying on the bullpen, he'll be fine. But to me, if you're you're making him a uh, Frontline starter in, in a playoff series. I don't know about that.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh, do you see anybody taking on Sonny Gray?
0: Somebody will take him, but they made a big mistake in saying that they were absolutely going to trade him. Yeah, but, you know, Cashman seems to like to hear his own voice. So it, it was that was not a wise strategy. But if somebody will take him and they might get a decent return for him, but they cannot bring him back.
1: No, I, I agree. You don't. You can't bring him back. And now that you basically said you're going to trade him, you look bad by even, you know, now, oh, we're going to trade you. But no, we, we we reconsidered. Oh, we didn't get what yeah. we wanted. So now you're going to bring him back. That's an awkward situation. Um, we talked a lot about Machado and Harper. We're, at the end of the day, Yankees Mets, all the discussions we've thrown out there. At the end of the day, where do you see these two guys say, going?
0: Harper and Machado? Yeah. I think ultimately Machado is going to end up with the Yankees and i think harper's going to the dodgers
1: contract prediction for both of those guys just throw, just throw a number out there
0: harper 10 years 320 million hmm. machado 9 years the Yankees will want to keep it below $300 million, so they might go $298 million or something like that. But there's going to be opt-outs after four years for both. So, uh,
1: What's a what's a free agent out there that isn't getting a lot of play that you feel is an underrated steal? Like a guy that Matt's Yankees, anybody would be very smart to get. Who's that one guy that kind of fits that, that, that mold for you?
0: Uh, to me, Marlon Gonzalez is very useful. He can play all over the place. He'll hit a few home runs. And... He can play short, he can play left field, he can play first base, and when you have a player like that, then you, you're always going to use him and he's always going to get 450 to 500 bats and be productive.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind Marwin Gonzalez for the Mets. I think he would help them.
0: He's going to be too costly for the Mets. Somebody's going to sign him. Yeah, Plus, I know. Plus, there's going to there's gonna be more playing time for him elsewhere. Right now, I don't think the Mets have a, a lot of room for him to play if everybody's healthy.
1: Yeah. That is true. Although, I th- I, eh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, what is your thoughts on this Cuba agreement or this uh, Major League Baseball agreement with the Cuban government about uh, allowing players to legally now defect into the Major Leagues?
0: I think it's about time. Uh, it's been such a dangerous uh, situation for these players to try to get out and it will benefit them to be able to go home and see their families, and not have to just abandon them to go through these these risky go betweens to get out of the Cuba and then owe all these people money and be threatened like Puig was. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a positive. It hasn't gone through yet, but if it does, I think it's a beneficial hmm. strategy.
1: Um. If the Yankees, for some reason, fall short again this year, do you see Aaron Boone in any kind of trouble?
0: The only way these managers are going to be in trouble is if they're going to bring in someone who is going to do something so drastically different, but Cashman was so desperate to have control over what the manager does that it was the same thing with Dave Roberts. They wanted people, people wanted Dave Roberts fired. You're going to bring in somebody who does exactly what Dave Roberts does, so what's the difference? Right. Boone came in, he's working cheap for the opportunity, and that was it.
1: What about across town with uh,
0: Mickey Calloway? Uh, I think the Mets had better get off to a good start, or Joe Girardi will be managing the Mets by May. Well,
1: oh, Your lips to God's ears. Uh, do, do, do you, are, you, are you high on Calloway when they hired him? Were you high on, I, I don't remember. I know wanted what.
0: them to hire him. I wrote a, post, a blog post for uh, FanRags saying that he was the pick. Uh, has anything? Has
1: any, I mean, I know you had a i I liked how the team played hard for him in the second half. That 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 stuck that stuck out for me. They they played better in the second half. They didn't, because that team could have easily lost 90 plus games and it could have been a disaster, but they stuck with him. So that, I think that if you want to give him one positive, I think that's a good thing. And the pitching. Yeah, and the pitching did progressively get better throughout the year. Um, but has they anything- did him
0: no favors by not giving him an experienced bench coach. So now he's yeah. going to have an experienced bench coach. He's going to get every opportunity with a better team next year, but there were these gaffes that were pretty much inexcusable. From the beginning, and in early in the season, they worked their way around it because they were getting lucky and they were playing well. <laughs> if there are going to be expectations this year, the easiest thing to do is to fire the manager if they're not being met. So, and if Joe Girardi's sitting out there, the Cubs are also likely to be looking for a manager and someone to blame. And Joe Madden would have been fired if he wasn't making the money he's making now. So, and Girardi's from that area, so. Get off to a good start. That's what I would advise, Mickey Calloway.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, what's with the whole Joe Madden thing? Because you know, I, I I get it's been two years since the championship, and you know, this past season's performance has been a little disappointing. And I know Joe Madden isn't exactly uh, Casey Stengel. Um but it, wow, I, I, I'm shocked that that relationship between him and Theo is kind of taking a turn like that. W- what are you hearing? What do you know from that situation? Why is Why are they so willing to just let him go all of a sudden?
0: I think his personality is such that he starts to get on your nerves after a couple of years. And with someone like him who has gone from being this likable sort who was a baseball lifer and finally got his opportunity in Chicago, he's become a different person. Hmm. And once the ego gets in the way and... You know, some of the silly things he was saying at the winter meetings, like he's re- literally reading a book of dealing with millennials for dummies. I mean, <laughs> like that—that's implying that it's not his fault. Yeah. So to me, it's just—it's like people growing apart, and he's making a lot. I don't know why they gave him that contract. But. Well, you know
1: why I, he had all the leverage. He was—he—he—he he found the loophole he in his
0: contract. Didn't. Where was he going? They gave him that money because I didn't understand why they gave him that money to begin with. Well, Where was he going to go? He, they'd had the deal in place beforehand, apparently. Oh, really?
1: Well, I don't know. I, I always kind of felt like he had the leverage because you know he was still with Tampa. He found a loophole in his contract that allowed him to opt, to, you know, the, to, to pursue other. Other things, he would had the back back deals with with the Cubs. I, I think some, I don't, maybe not, maybe some other team wouldn't have gave him the contract that they gave him. But I think he had a uh, Joe Madden for whatever reason is a is a sexy name, and I think some organization would have sold themselves on. Oh, we got a chance to get Joe Madden, especially for a young team. You know, we got to jump on that. So you know.
0: the problem was many teams weren't going to do what the Cubs did and fire the manager they had in place to stick Joe Madden in there. Yeah. So they had a manager under contract, and they fired him for Joe Madden. Now, look, Rick Renteria is not Joe Torre here, but that wasn't fair that he was fired that way.
1: Yeah, that wasn't and right.
0: they paid Joe Madden; They gave him a bonus when he won the World Series, which is all fine. But to me, it just seems like they're tired of hearing him in every possible aspect. Hmm. And if they
1: do for I, I mean, outside of Girardi, do you see them going with one of these uh extension of the front office guys or would they bring in another manager of that ilk? Um,
0: it depends who's making the call. If it's ownership, then it's going to be Girardi. If Epstein wants someone, you can find a good young manager, but I don't think it's going to – they're not going to go old school. I mean, teams don't do that anymore.
1: So you don't see the socias of the world or guys like that ever
0: managing again? It's really difficult for those guys. I mean, the game is kind of changing slightly that since everybody has the same numbers, then you're going to have to start having managers who go more by feel than they do by statistics. Socias is going to want some say-so, and he's going to want money, and they don't want to pay the manager, and they don't want to give him significant voice. So... It's going to be hard for
1: him. And one final question. I know you don't care about the Hall of Fame. You're not a big Hall of Fame guy. Okay. But, but what was your thoughts on the whole Harold Baines thing? Because I, I ranted think- about I ranted about it last week. I just couldn't believe they put that guy. I wasn't so mad about the Harold Baines himself. I just – the committee. The committee that – I mean, you can't have a committee with Reinsdorf, with La Russa, with Alomar. Guys that They're are connected. their buddies in. I mean,
0: that's fine. But to me, if you look at his offensive numbers, he was a very, very good player. And he did have some Hall of Fame credentials. But then you get into the whataboutism. And once he's in, Edgar Martinez has to be in. Albert Bell has to be in. And then you start getting into guys who were forgotten, like Keith Hernandez. Absolutely. Don Mattingly, Steve Garvey. Where are they in all this? And eventually, if they start making it more of a, this guy has to be in than that guy has to be in, then it's just going to be, it's going to water it down even further.
1: Yeah, I agree. That, that's I just ranted about it. Completely, it was I. Yeah, the, the committees would upset me because I'm like
0: the Hall of is... Fame is not going to collapse
1: because Harold Baines was elected. No, it's not. It's not. But I, I think that I think it rubbed a lot of people the I mean, and 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 look, the writers have have put guys that they liked in for years, so it's not the first time. And the Veterans Committee before that as well has done favors and backhanded deals. I, I get that, but I don't know. I think this one just just seemed to stink from the beginning. And then, of course, you got LaRusso on high heat with Mad Dog, just basically in his condescending-ass tone. Well, you know, I know baseball and...
0: Guys- well, I mean, if you're talking to Chris Russo, I mean, that's the only way to talk to him. <laughs>
1: I like Russo. I like Russo. Lay off Russo. But uh, no, but La 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 Russa, I mean, you know, with his, you know, overly sensitive, you know, the same shtick. Well, you know, I managed for 20, 30, 40 years, so I know and you don't. So I I think that's what really rubbed people the wrong way. It's just kind of like, dude, you you did your buddy a favor. At least be real and come out and say that you did that instead of just making it sound like you you you, you did this totally impartial, unbiased, fair assessment of guys and you put Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame. That's Tony,
0: Tony LaRouge is an old guy who in his heyday was seen as the paragon of innovation and now he's seen as a dinosaur and he doesn't like it. And that's why he took the job with the Diamondbacks to be the chief baseball officer because he wanted to go head to head with his nemesis from the Cardinals, Jeff Luno, and he embarrassed himself. Yeah. So he's not, that's not going to change. What is he 75 now? These guys are, and they're fiery competitors They're former athletes. They're not going to back down.
1: Yeah. All right, Paul, I'd like to thank you for giving me some time here on this week's show. Uh, yep. Before you go, man, just uh, plug your social media, plug any work that you got coming up. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you and read your work.
0: Well, I'm, I've been posting on my, on my blog for a while, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Prince underscore of underscore NY. So I put most of my baseball stuff there, and I will keep everyone posted if i'm writing the new baseball book this year and
1: it would, if i do it'll be available around march cool cool paul lebowitz paul go check it out follow him on twitter uh the guy brings the heat brings the heat it's a very informed guy so check him out if you're a big time baseball fan and uh, read his work paul thank you again for joining me on the show man all right man thanks appreciate it man okay You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a Sunday morning sports conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean and all other podcasting services. Follow us on Facebook at Any Given Sunday, on Twitter at AGS Pod and on Instagram at AGS Podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show once again, thank you to Paul Lebowitz for joining me on this week's episode of the podcast. And once again, thank you guys for listening and subscribing and supporting the show in the ways that you guys do. I say it every week and it rings true. I don't care how dope you think the podcast is. I don't care how brilliant you think the guests are or the host is. Without listeners, there is no podcast. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening and for supporting this show week in and week out. We're just trying to make the best podcast possible week in and week out. So thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting and listening to the show. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, AGS Pod, on Instagram, AGS Podcast, and on Facebook at Any Given Sunday. And of course, the Facebook fan page, AGS Nation. Um, follow me on Twitter, at The Manuel Brown, and follow me on Instagram, at The Manual Brown. And of course, on Snapchat, Manny Bro 15. I forget to plug my Snapchat. Follow me on Snapchat, Manny Bro 15, man. Um, thank you. Thank you for supporting the show. Um, before we get out of here, I just want to say Merry Christmas. Please be safe out there. Enjoy y'all Christmas with your families, friends, whatever, however you choose to celebrate Christmas. Please be happy. Please be safe and happy holidays to everyone else that that may not celebrate Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody else, man. Thank you for listening to the show. I'm still debating on whether we're going to do a show next week, a year end review type of show. We'll see. I haven't confirmed anything yet. Um, if anything, it'll probably just be me talking, boring y'all to death again, <laughs> uh, talking about something that comes to my mind, but, um, Either way, I'll keep you guys posted on social media. Um, Once again, thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week on the podcast.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisquali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisquali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you.